worthy of our praise. I don't care if there's two here, 200 or 2,000. He's worthy of a shout and he's worthy of a praise because he brought us through another day. Amen. Hallelujah. It's always good to, you can be seated. It's always good to see you in God's house. For those of you who might not have been with us, I have started a series on the Beatitudes uh, two, three weeks ago. I'm going to continue on that this evening. Tonight, the title of the message is Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. I'm going to read a couple passages, then go to the Lord in prayer, and then get into the Word of God. And seeing the multitudes, beginning in verse 1, He, Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's the verse we looked at last week. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's the verse that we're going to look at this evening, and I'm not going to read any farther. But how many of you know we got to uh, have the Lord to receive, and I need the Lord to preach, amen? So we're going to go one more time to the Lord in prayer as always. Father God, we just uh, shout out to you this evening, God, all of your praise and all of your glory. We give you the hallelujahs and we give you the amens. We just, uh, we just give you everything that you're worthy of tonight, Father God, uh, because we're nothing without you. And Father God, I just pray tonight that your Holy Spirit that's already in this place, Lord God, would be in control, Father God, of every word that I speak tonight. God, that your anointing would be upon me, that you would touch my mind and touch my heart and touch my body. Give me the strength in all of those areas, God, to bring forth the word that you've laid upon my heart, God, the word that I've meditated on throughout this week, God. And I pray that it would come forth with clarity and with understanding, Lord God, that you would come against every hindering spirit, that you would come against, Father God, every distraction, the cares of the week and the concerns of the day, God, that we might receive with gladness the seeds of salvation that you want to sow into our lives tonight. Open ears to hear, Father God. Move on hearts that they might receive with gladness, like I said, your word. And I pray that we would be blessed by your presence and by your spirit and by your word, especially as we yield to it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Last week, uh, we looked at verse 3, which was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And how the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. Now, we looked at how the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who understand the depth of their spiritual poverty or depravity, whatever word you might want to use. How it belongs to those who realize that without Jesus Christ, they are absolutely nothing. We likened it unto, and Jesus actually likened this poverty unto, like to those who are the, the street side beggars that have to rely on someone else's labor and someone else's graces in their life. And this is what Jesus was talking about. Uh, he's talking about the poor in spirit being the individuals who, who understand they must rely on the love and, love and labor of Jesus Christ instead of their own works and their own righteousness. The poor in spirit understand that regardless of their earthly accomplishments, regardless of their earthly accolades, no matter how many there might be, or regardless of their earthly accumulations, they still need Jesus. Because how many of you know the Word of God tells us apart from Him we can do nothing? And apart from Him we are actually nothing. But with Him we become the righteousness of God. 
with Him. The Bible tells us that we are joint heirs to the kingdom of God, church. With Him, our whole story changes. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm glad my story has changed because of the love and the labor of Jesus Christ that that offered me grace in that time that I needed it. How many of you thankful for that new story? Amen? Amen. Well, that story starts with the poverty of spirit. Our story of transformation can't start unless we recognize the condition of our soul and are willing to be moved to do something about it. But that's where your story started. It's where our story started. And Jesus was telling the disciples that your story and your legacy has to begin with a poor spirit that understands that without me, you're nothing, but with me, you are everything. So as we move forward tonight, what I want you to understand first about the Beatitudes or about the Beatitudes so far is that the first Beatitude, see, every time God speaks to us, there's a revelation. Every time you read a passage, there is a revelation in there for you. You got to take the time to find it. And if you can't find it the first time, go back and look at it a second time. And if you can't find it the second time, ask God to reveal it to you the third time. But this is revelation. So every time we read it, there, there should be one. And there is revelation in the Beatitudes as well. So the first Beatitude reveals to us the attitude that we should have towards ourselves. The first Beatitude reveals to us the attitude that we should have towards me, myself, or I, or this fleshly being that we are. And, and the reality is the attitude that we should have towards me, myself, and I is an attitude of total reproach. It's an attitude of of deep disdain that we should have concerning me, myself, and I. And I know that that might sound kind of awkward. I know that that might sound kind of strange. I know that that might be hard for some of us to understand, especially because we're living in a society that's all about me, myself, and I. We're living in a society and part of a generation where we're all self-centered. But Jesus is teaching his disciples. Again, remember, if you want to have an impact, if you want to be different, if you want to be salt and light like he closes the Beatitudes out with, you have to be poor in spirit. You have to loathe your flesh. You have to despise the old man. This is exactly what he's teaching. You have to understand that you need to be rescued, church. The reality is the Bible actually tells us that the poor in spirit are to abhor who they are. I know that doesn't sound right, especially in today's generation. But the word of God tells us that church, the, the, the pure or the, the poor in spirit loathe and detest themselves. They look at me, myself, and I with a deep disdain. And they understand that there's something has to happen with me, myself, and I. That's what the poor in spirit do. Remember, the Apostle Paul called himself wretched. The Apostle Paul, church, the penman of two-thirds of the New Testament scriptures, the, the bond servant of Jesus Christ, the individual that said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, was the same individual that said, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this spiritual condition that I'm in? I want you to understand, Paul, the Apostle Paul, The great man of God said this about himself. Why? Because he was poor in spirit. Why? Because he understood the condition 
of his flesh. He understood that, church, and we need to understand the same thing. Paul understood he needed rescuing. And the poor in spirit understand the same thing. I'm just, I'm leading. I'm not re-preaching. I'm leading you into where we're wanting to go this evening. The poor in spirit understand that they need to be rescued from their spiritual poverty. They need to be rescued from their spiritual wretchedness. They need to be rescued from their spiritual bankruptcy. They literally need to be rescued from me, myself, and I. Paul understood that. We would look at several other individuals in Scripture, individuals like Abraham, individuals like Isaiah, individuals like the Apostle John and Joshua and even Job. When they all saw the Lord, you can read it in Scripture, they all abhorred, abhorred what they saw in themselves. They all loathed what they saw in themselves when they got a glimpse of God. Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down in the presence of the Lord because of his unworthiness and his wretchedness, the Bible says. Abraham, who was a father of of many nations and was called righteous as well, said, Dare I stand and speak in your presence, for I am nothing in your sight. Job said, My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I abhor what I see in myself. You see, the reality is even when righteous men get a glimpse of God, they abhor what they see in themselves. The poor in spirit, as righteous as they might think, as righteous as man might call them, and even as righteous as God called it, God called every one of these men righteous. All of them God called righteous, and yet when they got a glimpse of His righteousness, they became poor in spirit and called themselves unworthy. They called themselves unclean. They called themselves wretched because that's what the poor in spirit do. They get a glimpse of God, and they they get a glimpse of themselves, and they understand, I've got a long way to go. Unlike the Pharisees, church, we have to be poor in spirit. When all of these men saw the beauty and the perfection of the Lord, they saw the filthiness of their own flesh. They were poor in spirit. They loathed what they saw. They detested who they were. And all of them were brought low because of it. Remember I told you last week that the definition God used about poverty and being poor was one like a beggar that would crouch and cower like you see a street side beggar. Every individual that's poor in spirit, because of what they see, they're brought low. They're brought low, church. They, I don't want to say they, they actually literally cower and crouch, but that's the, the idea that God is speaking to. Even though they were all considered righteous, they were all brought low. Why? Because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. And that realization, the realization of our wretchedness, I don't care who we are, when we look at God and we are truly poor in spirit, We are brought low because of our need. We're brought low because we realize I can't rescue myself. I need Jesus to rescue me. And we, 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 in a spiritual sense, cower and crouch before the one that can offer us what we need because we cannot offer it to ourselves. They understand how desperately they need Jesus and how desperately they need to be rescued. So once again, the first beatitude... And I'm finishing on that. The first beatitude reveals the attitude we should have towards ourselves, towards me, myself, and I. But the second beatitude reveals the attitude we should have towards sin. 
The first beatitude brings us low. The first beatitude brings us to our knees. The first beatitude, like I said, causes us to crouch and cower like we learned last week. The first beatitude brings us to a place we've never been before. But the second outlines what we should do while we're there, which is to mourn. The first beatitude brings us to our knees. The second beatitude tells us what we should do while we're on our knees. It tells us what we should do while we cower. It tells us what we should do when we crouch. It tells us what we should do when we look to Jesus, who is the only one that can rescue us. It tells us we are to mourn. And we're to mourn over our sin. You see, that's the attitude we should have towards sin. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He's, he's building a, a process to, to spiritual usefulness. He's building a process to spiritual maturity. He's building a process through which he must take his disciples so that they can be fishers of men. If they're not poor in spirit, they can't be fishers of men. If they don't recognize their own need, how can they point out the need? to someone else. If they don't weep over their own sin and weep over their own spiritual poverty, how can they lead anyone else to a place of weeping and a place of mourning? It's what he's trying to teach his disciples and it's what he's trying to teach us as well. Remember, you are fishers of men. You are salt. You are light. And you can't shine unless you're poor in spirit. You can't shine and be salty unless you're willing to mourn over your own sin. It's what Jesus is teaching, church. The first beatitude reveals the condition of our soul, which is spiritual poverty and wretchedness. But the second weeps over what it sees. It weeps over its poverty. It weeps over its wretchedness. It weeps over the sin that's residing in the soil of its soul, church. The first beatitude points to the corruption of our soul, while the second cries over it. The second weeps over it. The second mourns over what it sees. Please understand, it's one thing to plead guilty. It's another to mourn over your plea. It's one thing to say, I'm guilty. It's another to grieve over that guilt. It's one thing to stand before a pure and righteous and holy judge and say, I'm sorry. But it's another thing to grieve over the sin that puts you there. It's one thing, do you understand, to say I'm guilty, but it's another thing to fall to your knees and grieve over your guilt. And this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. If you want to be comforted, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have this life joy, if you want to have a happiness that this world can't take away, you've got to learn how to mourn over your sin. We wonder why we're not happy. We wonder why we don't have the life joy. we got to ask ourselves if we've ever learned how to mourn over our sin. It's one thing to be brought low, like I said. It's another thing to weep over what brought you there, which is sin. Sin is what brought us low. Sin is what took the, the prodigal son to the pig pen. Sin is what put us in the miry clay. Sin is what's sending us to hell. Sin is what puts us in the middle of the mess, church. And we've got to learn to mourn over the sin that put us there. It's what we have to do, and it's what Jesus is trying to teach. It's one thing to mourn because I've been separated from the Father. 
And we should mourn because of that. But it's another thing to mourn over the thing that separated us in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? There is something that separated us from the Father, and it's this thing called sin. And that's what we gotta learn to mourn over. That's what we gotta learn to grieve over. That's what we gotta learn to weep over. Because it breaks the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God, church. This is what we have to understand, and it's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Unfortunately, church, one of the, when it comes to pastoring and counseling, I've done a lot of counseling over the years. I've done a lot of shepherding and discipling over the years. I've found that more individuals grieve over being caught in their sin than grieving over the sin they were caught in. You understand what I'm saying? They grieve more over the fact that they were caught than they grieve over the sin they were caught in, church. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach. They mourn more over the situation. Please get this. They mourn more over the situation their sin created than they mourn over the sin that created their situation. You understand what I'm saying? The house of God is filled with individuals that come to the altar on a regular basis mourning over their situation without ever looking at the sin that created it. Without ever addressing the sin that created it. Oh, my marriage is falling apart. Oh, my marriage is this and my marriage is that. But they've never addressed the sin that got it there. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's fornication. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Oh, and they mourn over the, 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 the destruction of their relationship. But they haven't yet mourned over the sin that took it to where it is. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach. Stop mourning about your situation. Mourn about the sin that created it. This is what we have to understand. The reality is, church, we cry, like I said, because we get caught. We cry and weep and mourn because our our sin cost us our marriage or our sin cost us our job. We cry and weep and mourn because our sin cost us our family and because because of this sin that I hadn't I didn't control in my life. My 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 children despise me. We cry and and weep and mourn because sin has ruined our life. But we weep not over the sin itself. We weep not over the adultery. We weep not over the fornication. We weep not over the addiction. We weep not over the pornography that's part of our life. We weep not over the sin that Jesus is saying, I want you to mourn over. Because if you don't mourn over it, you won't find comfort. And if you don't find comfort, you won't find the joy and the blessedness I'm talking about. This is what he's trying to teach his disciples. It's a process we have to go through, church. Remember, David said against you and you alone have I sinned after he committed adultery and tried to cover it up and he did all sorts of evil in the sight of God. He went to God in Psalm 51, read it yourself, the depths of of his mourning. He said, against you and you alone have I sinned and I have done evil in your sight. David called it it what it was. He called it sin. He didn't call it a mistake. He didn't blame someone else. He didn't even really, I'm telling you, he didn't even, he didn't even mourn over this, the, the consequences of his sin. He mourned over his sin. He mourned over the fact that he grieved God. He mourned over the fact that he broke the heart of God. He mourned over the sin that put him in the situation that he was in and not the situation itself, church. David knew he broke the heart of God. 
David knew that he grieved the heart of God, church, and he identified the problem and called it what it was and said, against you, God, have I sinned. And we have to learn to do the same thing if we want to be blessed. We have to learn to do the same thing if we want to be comforted, church. The reality is, my point is this. Like I said, so often we mourn and weep and cry over the situation that our sin created, but not over the sin itself. And it's why we're not happy. And it's why we're not blessed. And it's why we're not filled with this life joy that Jesus is talking about. Because we have not mourned over our sins, church. We mourn over the mess. But we don't mourn over the sin. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and he's trying to teach you and I the very same thing. If we want to call ourselves blessed, and a lot of people do, oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I say it too. But if I'm going to say that, I better be willing to ask when's the last time I mourned over the thing that grieved the heart of God this week. I better be willing to recognize the the, the unkind words that I spoke to my wife that not only grieved her, but grieved God. Or, Or the attitude that I had towards my children that not only grieved my children, but grieved the heart of God. I can't call myself blessed if I'm not ready to recognize the sin that's in my life and address it. And weep and mourn over it, church. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over the sinful condition of their soul. The truth is our condition should bring us low. Yes, our spiritual condition should bring us low. But the cause of our condition should bring us to tears, church. It should produce a mourning inside the soil of our soul. And this is what Jesus is teaching. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, here's what I want you to understand. He was using a Greek word that meant to mourn as one who mourns for the dead. He was talking about a mourning that can't be hidden. No matter how much of a smile you try to put on your face. No matter how much, how much you try to, to, to not let anyone know what's going on inside of you. He's talking about a mourning that can't be hidden. That just comes out of the, the soil of your soul. Tears that are uncontrollable. A weeping and a mourning that can't be stopped. Can't be hidden can't be whitewashed over. This is what he's talking about. This is the depth of the mourning. This is the depth of the attitude that we should have towards sin. This is what Jesus is saying, church. It's a mourning that brings tears to our eyes. And finally, a mourning that literally torments the soul with pain. That's what the Greek word for this mourn means. Torments the soul like with the loss of a loved one. This is what Jesus said our attitude towards sin should be, church. One of great mourning. The reality is we should be like Jeremiah, who for 40 years, the Bible tells us, wept over the sinfulness of the people. He wept for 40 years over the corruption of their soul. He wept for 40 years over the transgressions against the Lord, and so should we. But the question is, do we? Do we grieve? Do we mourn? Do we wail? Concerning the condition of our soul. Do we mourn individually? Do we mourn and weep uh, corporately concerning the sin of our society or the sin of the church or the sin of our personal household church? Do we weep over abortion today? Do we weep over homosexuality today? 
Do we weep over same-sex marriages that's being shoved down our throats? Do we weep over even divorce that has crept its way into the house of God, even when God says, I hate divorce? Do we weep over addictions? Do we weep over adultery? Do we weep over fornication? Do we weep over greed? Do we weep over hatred? Do we weep over jealousy? Do we weep over the gossip that's even made its way into the house of God and through the telephone lines of the people of faith? Do we weep over the things that grieve the heart of God? Do we weep, church? When you look at things like abortion and you look at things like homosexuality or same-sex marriages, yes, we picket and yes, we march and yes, we send all sorts of emails against these kinds of evils. But the Holy Spirit wants to know, when's the last time you wept? When's the last time you mourned? I don't care if you carry a picket sign. I don't care if you carry, send out a thousand emails. I don't care if you protest. I care if you weep. Because weeping is what he responds to. God don't respond to a picket sign. I'm not telling you not to picket because we as righteous should stand up for morality. But that's not the answer. Jesus said the answer is when you weep and mourn over sin, I will be moved. And then I'll give you comfort and then you'll find the happiness you're looking for. Weep and mourn and wail, Jesus was saying. When's the last time the church got together and said, we're going to weep over abortion and we're going to weep over all of these things? We'd rather go and carry a sign and get up in the face of somebody. You know what we got to do? We got to get on our knees and get up in the face of God and let him see some tears running out of the soil of our soul. That's what we need to do, church. For 40 years, Jeremiah preached to a people who didn't care. For 40 years, he preached to a people that didn't listen. For 40 years, he preached to a people who wouldn't mourn, weep, or wail, church. And far too often, unfortunately, we are that very people. Far too often, we're those same exact individuals of people who are not offended by the things that offend God. I want you to know there's things that offend God. He might be God. He might be all-powerful. He might be mighty and omnipotent and omniscient. He might be all of those things, but God's heart still breaks. God's heart still grieves. The King of kings and the Lord of lords still sheds a tear, church. I want you to understand he grieves over sin and he mourns over it, church. In Jeremiah 6.15, God speaks about the people of Jeremiah's day and he says, Are they even ashamed of their detestable conduct? Are they even ashamed of their wicked ways? Are they ashamed of their wretchedness? Are they ashamed of their corruption? Are they ashamed of their sin? And God answers his own question and he says, no, Jeremiah, they're not. They have no shame at all. And he said they don't even know how to blush. Please understand what he was saying in modern day vernacular. He said they have no shame at all. This is what he was saying. They don't even pull down the blinds. They don't even close the door. They don't even wait till mom and dad leave. They don't wait till no one's looking. They don't even turn out the lights because they have no shame at all. They don't even blush. You see, the reality is the person that turns off the light, they got a little bit of shame inside. 
The person that pulls down the blinds and looking over their shoulder, wondering who's watching. They got a little bit of shame inside them. But Jesus and God is telling us there is a generation that doesn't even blush. There's a generation that's not ashamed of what they do. They do it right on the open. They can't even wait to get in front of a video camera so that they can expose all of their wickedness, church. Girls going wild and all kinds of other stuff. They can't wait to expose their wickedness. There's no blushing. There's no shame. And where there is no shame, there is no comfort. And where there is no comfort, there is no happiness. And where there is no happiness, there is no blessedness. And guess what happens then? They divulge even more into the sick things of this world, trying to find comfort and trying to find happiness. Trying to find contentment. Why? Because they've never learned to be poor in spirit and they've never learned to weep over their sin. Because they don't even blush and they're not even ashamed, church. This is the generation we're living in today. And if you don't think so, I'm telling you, you're wrong. This is the generation we're living in. It is a generation just like Jeremiah. And unfortunately, some of that mentality has crept its way into the church. Where the church isn't even ashamed of what they do not ashamed of the gossip not ashamed of the greed to preach from the pulpit greedy 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 not ashamed we're not ashamed even in the house of god and i want you to know it grieves the heart of god it breaks the heart of god i want you to know that our society today brings tears to the eyes of the king of kings and the lord of lords and he's mourning over it like we would mourn over the loss of a loved one. He's mourning over our sin when we should be. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Never let the, the Lord mourn over what you should be mourning over. It's what he's trying to teach the disciples. Look, this is exactly what we should be doing. Mourning over the sin that separates us from the Father. He's talking about a people that don't mourn over anything, church. But we should be mourning over that very thing that separates us from God. Grieving over what grieves God. Broken over what breaks the heart of God. See, I want to I dovetail just real quick. It was a thought that came to my mind right before I came in here. Is that we must understand that God mourned the loss of His Son. We have to understand that God grieved the loss and the death. His son died. He, he mourned the loss. The, the Bible tells us that the earth grew dark and black because God was mourning the loss of his son. He was mourning the death of the, 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 the precious lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the man. And this is what I want you to understand. The word Jesus used when he said, blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about the same mourning God had. The same mourning that was going on in God's heart when his son died upon the cross. And this is what he's telling us. We have to mourn over our sin. Like God mourned over his son who died for our sin. You understand the depth of that church? His son was innocent. His son had no guilt within him. 
His son had to become wretched. His son had to become blind. His son had to become poor. His son had to become naked. His son had to become everything disgusting so that you and I could find life. And his father mourned over his death, church. And we the same way should mourn over the sin that cost Jesus his life. That, that's the depths of the mourning that God is talking about. Not just some, oh, well, I'm sorry, God. God mourned. The heavens wept. The earth trembled and shook because God's mourning was so great. And yet we take our sin so lightly. We take our sin like there's nothing to it at all. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be blessed, you've got to mourn. Please understand. If you look one verse earlier, in Jeremiah verse 16, he's talking about these same individuals and the sinfulness that's in their life. And he says, they dress their wounds as though they are not serious. They, they put, they put band-aids on their cancer is basically what he's saying. He was trying to let, let the reader know that their, 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 their situation and their sinfulness is, is so severe and yet they're treating it like it's not serious, he says. It says they're treating it like it's not serious. And what we have to understand is that sin is a serious thing, church. And we should be mourning over it. Sin is a serious thing. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from the Father. Sin will keep us from heaven, church. Sin will separate us from the blessedness that Jesus is talking about. It will separate us from favor. It will, save her, uh, it will, it will separate us from God's goodness and all of God's blessings. Sin has the power to send us to hell. You know as well as I do, sin will destroy marriages and sin will destroy minds and sin will destroy families and sin will destroy finances. Sin will destroy your faith. Sin ultimately will destroy your life unless it is wept over. Unless it's wept over. And I'm going to give you some biblical foundation for you to understand that. Listen, here, a heart that's not broken can't be healed. It's just common sense. You understand what I'm saying? A heart that's not broken, God can't heal. I want you to understand that a sin that's not wept over won't be swept away. Can't be swept away, church, because of this. If I don't grieve over sin, I won't put it away. If I don't grieve over sin, I won't put it off. I won't set it aside. I won't put it to death. If I don't grieve, if I'm not disgusted, if I'm not broken, if I don't weep, mourn, and wail over the sin that's in my life, church, I will not take it to the cross. I will not crucify it. I'll allow it to live on in my life. I'll allow the the fire of sin to continue to burn in my bosom if I do not despise it. If I do not mourn over it, church, I, I don't want to just give you, a, you know, like a little fancy poem here, but, but I wrote this. The truth is, Jesus is teaching his disciples in this beatitude that the fire of sin needs the tears of mourning in order to put it out. The fire of sin that burns within our bosom needs the tears and, of mourning and sorrow in order to put it out. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you don't mourn over your sin, those tears will never affect your sin. The mourning, the grieving will never affect your sin. I know, yes, it's the blood of Jesus Christ, but the blood of Jesus Christ will not touch a sin you've not grieved over. 
The blood of Jesus Christ won't wash away a sin you're not sorry for. The blood of Jesus Christ won't put into the sea of forgetfulness a, a sin you've never fell to your knees and confessed and repented and mourned over. That's why I can say what I say. That's why I can say that the fire of sin needs the tears of mourning in order to put it out, church. Without that, the fire of sin will continue to burn in our bosom. So once again, here, listen. When the heart is broken over sin, in my opinion, it releases the sweetest perfume that there is. When the heart is broken over sin, it releases something that can only be released at that moment when it's broken. And, and I say that based on the story that we learned last week. Remember the woman with the alabaster box. The woman, the Bible says, lived a lifestyle of sin. She had a raunchy reputation in the city. But when she heard Jesus was in the town, two things happened. She actually demonstrated poverty of spirit. She knew she needed to be rescued from her sin. She knew she needed to be rescued from her guilt and rescued from her shame. And the Bible says she entered into the, the Pharisee's house and she fell on her knees. She was brought low through, a poor, through a, a poor spirit. She understood the condition of her soul and she understood that she, was, she was, needed to be rescued. And she fell to her knees, the Bible says, and she wept tears. She washed his feet with her tears, and the Bible says that she dried them with her hair. And I say that, and then she poured out an, a bottle of oil, the Bible tells us. But in my opinion, biblically, even the Bible says, teaches us this, that her tears of sorrow and her tears of mourning and her tears of grief over the sin that she had allowed into her life were more precious to Jesus than the, than the oil that she poured out. The tears of, of sorrow and the tears of mourning concerning the sin that was in her life were more valuable to God than the oil that she had poured out. And so are ours, church, only when we mourn. You see, it doesn't matter what, what we can offer to God to try to, to try to impress Him and try to, to woo Him. You see, the, 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 the pouring out of the oil for this woman... She wasn't trying to negotiate anything. She just understood how desperately she needed Jesus. She wasn't trying to buy anything. She was just, she was at that place where she understood Jesus is the only one that can rescue me. And there's nothing I have that's more valuable than what he can offer me. So I'm pouring it all out. And she poured out her perfume and she poured out her tears and God comforted her soul. That's what Jesus is meaning when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall be comforted church. So once again, when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he was referring to those who mourn over sin itself. The reality is when we truly understand our need for Jesus, we will mourn. When we truly understand how filthy our rags really are, we will mourn. When we truly get a glimpse of God like Isaiah did, we'll say, woe is me and come undone. When we get a glimpse of God's glory like John did on the island of Patmos, we'll fall to our face on the ground like a dead man and we'll realize who we are. I'm saying when we come to grips with the seriousness of sin that's in our lives or in our society or in our home or in our church, we will mourn. We won't rest on our own righteousness. We won't rest on our own works. We won't laugh it off, church, like some will. 
The, the reality is there, there, there is a passage of Scripture where it says uh, they didn't consider their sin serious. They kind of just lighthearted. No big deal. They didn't overlook it. We can't overlook our sin at any level as children of God. I don't care how small it is or how large it is. We have to take it seriously. And when we do, church, we will mourn. And here's what I want us to understand. When we mourn, that in that mourning we will find comfort. And in that comfort, the Bible says, we will find blessedness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's three things God's talking about in this one passage. He's talking about mourning. He's talking about comfort. And he's talking about blessedness. What he's saying is your blessedness is based on your comfort, the comfort that I bring. Listen, I don't want to get too theological or teachy here, but I want you to understand that if we don't have all three of these, we're missing something. Jesus isn't saying just because you mourn, you're blessed. I want you to understand that our blessedness, our joy, our peace, our life joy, the happiness that he's talking about comes from the comfort that God offers us when we weep over our sin. Understand the comfort always comes from God. It doesn't come from my weeping because remember, apart from God, I'm nothing. Without Jesus, without his power to comfort, I could cry till I'm blue in the face and mourn till I'm blue in the face. And I still won't be happy and I still can't find comfort. It's always about God. It's always about Jesus. It's always about the cross. My blessedness comes from God's comfort. And who is my comforter? It's the Holy Spirit and it's Jesus Christ. That's where my blessedness comes from. That's where my, my life joy comes from. It comes from the comfort that I get from God. But that comfort only comes when I'm willing to mourn over my sin. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us, church. As I close, Jesus said, blessed or happy or filled with life joy are those who mourn. And I know that to to a lot of people that doesn't seem to make sense. I know blessed are those who mourn. It sounds like an oxymoron, church. I know mourning and happiness don't seem to go together, but like I said, our blessedness comes from the comfort that comes when we mourn. And it's a process we have to go through, church. It's the fact, our comfort, the second end of that passage where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our comfort comes from the fact that God will give us the oil of gladness over the spirit of mourning. And when he's talking about mourning, he's talking about, again, he's talking about mourning over our sin. And the reality is, this is a promise of God. When you mourn over your sin, guess what? I'm going to pour out the oil of gladness over your heart. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she poured out, she poured out her earthly perfume. She poured out and emptied her alabaster box with the oil that was made by man. But when she poured out that oil that was made by man, and she began to pour out her tears of sadness and sorrow concerning her sin, God opened up the heavens and He poured out the oil of gladness upon her soul. And because that gladness came into her heart, she now is blessed. And this is what Jesus is teaching, church. I will give you the oil of gladness for the spirit of mourning. He actually said to all of those who mourn in Israel over their sin, 
over their spiritual bondage, over their spiritual captivity, he was saying, to all those who mourn in Israel, to all those who are broken over their spiritual condition, to all of them, I will give beauty for their ashes. Ashes was a sign of mourning. He said to them, I will give the oil of gladness over the spirit of mourning. I will give them a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's the comfort that comes when we weep and mourn and wail over the sin that's in our life. If we want to be blessed, we have to learn this lesson that Jesus is teaching church. If we want to be blessed, we have to learn that when the true tears of repentance fill our soul, that the oil of gladness rises to the top in our life. If you have no gladness, if you have no joy, if you can't seem to find any comfort, you have to start by examining the soil of your soul and be willing to weep over the things that the Holy Spirit points out to you. It might be a little thing, but it can keep you from God's blessing. It could be a little thing, but it could keep you from God's goodness. It could be a little thing, but guess what? That little thing Jesus died for. That little thing can keep you from God. That little thing can keep you from heaven. That little thing can keep you from the Father. That little thing can keep your marriage from being whole and your mind from being well. That little thing has the power to destroy you. And it's why we have to take it seriously and it's why we have to mourn. The truth is this, as I close, there's no greater joy or happiness to be found in life. Again, it's a little saying I wrote. There's no greater joy or happiness to be found in life than that which floods the soul of the broken and the contrite heart. A lot of you have been there. I hope all of us have been there. Every single one of us, I know that there was no sweeter moment in my life than the joy that I felt when I wept over my sins and came to Jesus Christ. There was no sweeter moment in my life. And there still is never a sweeter moment in my life when I come before the Lord with a broken and a contrite heart and He fills it with the oil of gladness. What is oil used for? It's used for healing. And what does he want to heal? He wants to heal my brokenness. He wants to heal my sin. He wants to heal my hurt. He wants to heal my shame. He wants to heal the condemnation. He wants to heal everything that sin has done in my life. But he can't do that healing unless I'm willing to fall down as a poor in spirit and weep over the things that I know grieves God. How many of you want to be blessed? How many of you want the comfort of God? How many of you want a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory that can't be removed, that can't, a peace that passes all understanding? If you want that, I want you to stand to your feet tonight because to, there's something required of us in order to gain that church. We have to tonight. I'm not going to call a whole bunch of people to the altar and ask you to come and weep and mourn and wail. What I am going to ask you to do is open up your heart, open up your life, go before the Lord even now when you go home throughout the week and do as David did and said, search me, O God. Know my thoughts, know my heart, see if there be any anxious, see if there's anything unclean within me, reveal it to me. You see, and when he reveals it, then you've got to ask with that. I don't want to keep on preaching, but you have to ask God for a spirit of repentance to come over your soul. 
You've got to ask him to take away a spirit of pride because I'm telling you, your pride won't want to bend its knees. Your pride will want to laugh it off. Your pride will want to shug it off. Your pride won't want you to go to the altar. Your pride won't want that tear to come out. Your pride won't want your heart to be softened, church. But we've got to say, God, reveal it to me. And when you reveal it to me, I need you to grant me a spirit of repentance so that I can find comfort for my broken soul. You understand what I'm saying, church? That's what I want you to open yourself up for tonight. That's what I want you to open up and say, God, begin to do this in my life so I can be blessed. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, for the lessons you want to teach your people. And God, we're more than just your people. We're your children. We're your sons and we're your daughters. We're the ones you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for on a cross. You loved us so much, God, that you sent your only begotten son. And while we were sinners, you died for us, God. And what I pray tonight, Father, is that you would teach us to mourn over the things that cost Jesus his life. That you would teach us to mourn over the things that caused you to mourn 2,000 years ago. When the precious Lamb of God was nailed to Calvary's cross on Golgotha's hill, and it cost him his life. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that our heart would break over the things that break your heart. That our hearts would grieve over the things that grieve your heart. I pray that we would take sin seriously, God, because no matter how little it is, it has the power to send us to hell. No matter how little it is, it still costs Jesus Christ his blood and his life, Father, and it costs you your son. So I pray, God, that you would teach us to be poor in spirit. Teach us to lower ourselves. Teach us, Father God, to understand how desperately we need you. Teach us, Father God, to understand the attitude we are to have towards me, myself, and I. And teach us the attitude we should have towards sin. So God, as we go through this week, I pray that we would be an open book for you. I pray, God, that we would open up every door and every room, every area of our life, Father God, understanding you see it anyway. Sometimes we're the fool that thinks you can't see, God. Sometimes we're the fool that thinks we can hide, Father God, our sins from your life, but you see it all. I pray that you would give us the understanding, God. Help us. If we need to be ashamed, God, let us be ashamed. God, if you need to put a spirit of guilt on us for for a season, I pray that you would do that, God, so that we would feel the weight within the soil of our soul, that it would lower us, God, and bring us to the place where we would mourn over the things that grieve your heart. And God, when we do that, I pray that you would pour out your oil of gladness. God, there might be someone here right now tonight that needs the oil of gladness poured out over their soul. And I pray that you would do that, God. If they've been willing to confess their sin, if they've been willing to bring it before you and give you access, God, to it, I pray that you would pour out an oil upon their heart, an oil of gladness, God, that would give them comfort, an oil of gladness that would give them good cheer, an oil of gladness that would carry them through the week and through their life, Lord God. Teach us to mourn over that which grieves your heart. We give you the praise and we give you the glory. Because of your comfort, because of your son, and because of your promise. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless-